Okay, you can open your Bibles at Ephesians in chapter 4. Ephesians in chapter 4, and in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. Those are tremendous words. We are to put something away, and we are to take up a new lifestyle. A lifestyle that is nothing less than the very life of the Lord Jesus lived in us and through us. We have spent these hours together and we have seen the love of God that comes to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the word from the outside. Seems a long time ago, but you remember in the first hour I said that the way we were created, this is not an optional extra, the way we were created is to live by a voice from the outside. And that voice from the outside gives to us our identity. God, our Creator, speaks to us His love. He speaks to us how He made us in His own image and likeness. And we respond to that in obedient faith. And the result is, I become the person that I was always intended to be. Man lifts listened to another voice, the voice of Satan. And that gave him another identity, which was a non-identity. It was a lie, more than a lie, the lie. And that said, the other voice said, that you can be independent, you can walk alongside of God as you do your own thing. Have your own agenda. And man listened to that. It's called original sin, the fall. Listening to the voice of Satan, calling man to independence. But God's voice wouldn't quit. God spoke to us finally in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why he is called the Word. You ever wondered that? He's the voice from the outside. He is the Word of God. The prophets of the Old Testament had the message. Now the message becomes flesh and lives among us. And God could not speak to us more intimately than he does in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word from the outside, God speaks to us his love. His love is no longer a word. His love is no longer locked up in theology. His love is spelled out in the person of the Lord Jesus, his life, what he said, what he did. And finally, as we said this morning, how he took to himself and in his body bore our sin to the cross and rose again, love triumphant, to bring us back to normal, to function. And again, we, in obedient faith, respond to that love. And when we respond, the Holy Spirit rebirths us, rebirths that person inside, so that we can now come alive and be all that we are called to be. And I, I believe that many of you came to see that this morning. Uh, but now, how do I act as I have listened to that voice, the very first thing that I begin to hear after I've realized this unconditional love that I have received, the forgiveness that has come to me, now I begin to hear that voice directing me to express that love throughout the whole world. And it begins right in my own family, in my own immediate circle, forgive even as you have been forgiven. That's the beginning of the introduction to the preface of the first volume. This is not the finale, this is the beginning. This is the threshold of your new life. You are going nowhere in your new life until you forgive. As you have been forgiven, so you now forgive. And that becomes the way in which you live your life. But from now on, it's a lifestyle to forgive all who have ought against you. I want you to notice that <clears throat> this command, and of course this is only one of many in the New Testament, but it and all the others was written to believers. Uh, and I think we often overlook this. <clears throat> the letter to the Ephesians was written to believers. 
You understand? Uh, this is not written to the outsider. This is inside stuff. These people have come to Christ. But if he's writing these words to the believers, that means when they came to Christ, they brought with them a lot of unfinished business. Right? That's what this seminar is about, is to get rid of the unfinished business. It's to bring you up to date to start living who you really are in Christ. To become who you are. The unfinished business in this case was the bitterness. We have brought with us out of the darkness a lot of darkness thinking. And part of the darkness thinking is bitterness. We've been hurt. And some of us here have been hurt very deeply and very badly. There are some of you. And this morning God began to deal with it. Some of you it was done this morning. But, but I believe that for some of you it's been going on all afternoon. As the Holy Spirit said, he's going to deal in terms of the sexual abuse that you received and the physical abuse, the emotional abuse. And, and he brought it up and you saw how he takes it and places it on the cross and it's gone and buried with Jesus for you to start a new life. But now, if you're going to finish that work properly, you have to now turn around and forgive the persons that abused you. And for some, there has been a suppressed anger a resentment that has boiled inside and very effectively denied and suppressed, but it has been there distorting and twisting your whole life. Now we've got to face it and forgive those who have abused us. It's a threshold of a new life. It's where we begin to walk in love. Uh, some of you have been among those who are betrayed, stabbed in the back. Some of you are still bleeding from divorce wounds. Only they happen a long time ago, but the wound is still open and bleeding and there's still the poison of bitterness going through. It's, it's time, it's time to close the book by forgiving every person that has anything against you. I want you to notice these words here where it says, put away from you. It, it, it speaks of bitterness, which really is the Godfather, because it goes on to speak of wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Uh, but really, bitterness produces all of those things. And so we're really dealing here with bitterness. And he says to put it away. Now, it is hard to say that in English. Put away is correct as far as translating from the Greek goes. But you, you need to sound it out. Because we can't say it in English like it is in the Greek. We have to sound it more than say it. And this is a very strong statement when it says, put it away. It's speaking of a very decisive, a once for all choice. And so behind the words put away, you've got to hear what the Greek is saying. It is saying, do it now. Don't you dare pray about it. Do it. Don't say, I'll try that. Do it. That, that's all in the Greek there. It's put it away. It's a strong, it's a punchy word. It's a shake you into sense kind of word. It's saying, don't you dare hold on to this one second longer. Put it away. Do you hear me? Put it away and do it now. See, now that doesn't come through, especially if you heard a seminarian reading this. Um, you'd have missed that completely. But um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that is, that's what the Greek is saying. It's a strong word. We are to put away the whole family of bitterness. Now, what is bitterness that we ought to put away? Bitterness is a state more than something you do. It started with something you did, but it has become a state. And, and when it is the state in which your mind thinks, the state in which your emotions live, we call it bitterness or resentment. Um, how can I call it? Uh, bitterness is brooding over a wrong that was done to you however long ago. It could have been yesterday. It could have been 50 years ago. We've had some in these seminars that have forgiven after 40 years of holding it in terms of bitterness. It can be there until your whole body even, let alone your spirit and mind and emotions, your whole body can be filled with this poison of bitterness. And I use the term brooding. It's brooding. Do you understand what I mean by brooding? Um, I think you're near enough to the country. Um, you do know that eggs don't come from supermarkets. Um, you know they come from hens, right? Uh, 
Well, you know sometimes when mother hen lays an egg, she knows there's more to that egg than meets the eye. You know, and, and, and she gets all moody and broody. Right? Any pharmacy. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's so hard in this 1990s to talk to people. They, do, you, do you know about a broody hen that they get all... They don't want to do anything. They, they, they've got this yen. They're going to sit on this blessed egg because they're going to get the chick out of it. And that's all they'll do. They sit on the egg. They don't want to do anything else. It's a broody hen. Well, bitterness is it, you're going to sit on this egg and you're going to hatch it. You're going to get your money's worth out of this. That's. It, 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 I mean, you've been hurt, you understand. You've been hurt and you're not just going to walk away. Oh no, you become a broody hen. You're going to sit on that hurt and you're going to hatch it. And you, you are going to get your revenge and you are going to fill your life with this thing. You're going to get even. Bitterness. It's, it's that continual returning to the injustice. It is that replaying over and over again of what she said, he said, he did. It is re-feeling all the pain again and again and again. It is creating a movie back there in your conscious mind where you see it happening. You, you, you are the director and you make the cast and there you are, the poor hero or heroine. And you hear what people are saying, that poor thing. Did you hear what she said? What you, 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 you're there and you feel it again and you feel the sadness of it. You know, that is insanity, really. As with much we've done in this weekend, once you put it on the table and look at it, it's crazy to think I would do that. But I do, I do. I mean, what sense is there in returning to the hurt? Wasn't it bad enough the first time around? Why would we ever want to return to be hurt again? It hurt when they said it. Why on earth would I return in my mind and replay the event so that I can be hurt all over again? And, and we've got this crazy idea that somehow that's paying back the person who abused me. No, they don't know that you're doing it. You're the one who's getting hurt. In some crazy way, you've joined the abuser to now abuse yourself again and again and again. All in the name of getting even. And the fact is, you're the one who's being punished again. Now, we've got believers here. Believers. I say that because we've got to get rid of this idea that I became perfect when I came to Jesus. That new you inside, yes, you rose again in Christ and Christ in you. Now we've got to deal with this unfinished business. And here, believers that he has so recently described in chapter 1 and chapter 2 as seated with Christ in heavenly places, now to those believers in heavenly places, he said, put away bitterness. So, so this is some old stuff you dragged in with you. And it's time you put it away. In fact, you did more than drag in bitternesses until you have put it away. You are probably still using that method to deal with hurts. Do, do you follow what I mean? If you have brought bitterness into the kingdom of God with you, and you haven't done anything about it, you've just let it be, then it would suggest that you are still becoming bitter when other people hurt you today. And what we are seeking to show you in this seminar, but specifically tonight, is a new method of handling hurts. The Jesus method of handling hurts. Instead of doing it the old way, which is bitterness. And so the Holy Spirit is addressing us believers with this. But first of all, why do we cling to a hurt? Why would you do this? Why do you want to, to get your fingers around the throat of your abuser there in the movie that's going on inside your head? Why? It goes back to the lie. I think you can anticipate that. Now every problem we have goes back to the lie. You shall be as God. Okay. Well, any God that's worth the name God is in control of punishment. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, a God worth his salt is in control of punishment. 
Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. See, well, if, if I have buried down in my subconscious this idea that I am supposed to be as God, then vengeance is mine, saith Malcolm. I will repay. This is my responsibility to protect myself and get even. And so when you hurt me, you caught me by surprise. I was powerless. Or maybe indeed you were a little child. And now as you've thought about it and you look back there and, and okay, when, when, when you abused me, I was a little boy and I couldn't, I couldn't fight back. When, when you abused me, I was that little girl cowering in the corner. I couldn't fight back. I was powerless, but, but now, now I've regrouped. Now, I, now, see, now, now I'm going to get even. I'm going to bind you with chains. I, I am going to bind you to what you did to me. I'm never going to let you escape it in my mind. Whenever I think of you, I'll think of you who hurt me. And I'm going to go out of my way to hurt you the same as you hurt me. All this is happening in my head, you understand. Of course, if it carries on and on and on, it's going to get into your hands and you could murder. This is the beginning of murder. But, but we'll talk about it just in our head. Now, in our head, we can't do very much. It's all fantasy, you see. I think I'm God. I think I'm in control of my vengeance. And, and I'm going to get even. I'm the master of this situation. The best I can do is lock you out of my life. I won't let you into my life. I won't let you near me. I'm going to padlock you out of my life. And I'm going to go to all my friends and I'm going to padlock you out of their life. I'd padlock you out of the universe if I could. And forgiveness is releasing them to the true and only God who said vengeance belongs to me. That's forgiveness in essence. I'm giving them to God whose business it is to punish, not mine. If you, if you remember Joseph, in our tapes we deal long hours with Joseph. Uh, a whole seminar on him. But, but you remember Joseph. Have you ever thought of Joseph as an abused child? He was. He was abused in many ways. Uh, he, he was born into a crazy family. <laughs> I mean, we don't like to talk about this. Uh, we, we like to put the characters in the Bible in stained glass windows and give them fluffy white beards and shepherd's crooks and things. But uh, maybe just leave it at being crooks and then we, we'd understand it. Um, Jacob... Uh, I mean, he had four wives, you know. It's a very uncomfortable situation. Uh, I, I've, some of you pastors have had some counseling problems. When I was among the Bedouins, their counseling was, you know, I've got five wives and, uh, oh, what, the counseling that comes out of that. Uh, you, you think you've got a problem between a husband and wife when there's five of them living under one tent, you know you've got problems. And, and um, here he, Joseph was born into a family where there were four families and one father. Of course, we've got that in America these days, but... Um, it, it's, 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 uh, attention. There, there's, uh, jealousy and they're all vying for the attention of the one father. And, and Joseph was born to the woman which was the only one Jacob really wanted. Uh, you know this, well, maybe you don't. You better go and read it, but it's a long, complicated story. There's only one he really wanted. And she couldn't have children and then in his old age, she finally had children. And so he's the baby. Born to the favorite wife in a family where there were three other families vying for attention. And, and then Jacob abused little Joseph by spoiling him. That, that's a form of abuse. We haven't even touched on it. But he gave to little Joseph what no boy of his age should have. And that is a form of abuse. And that put him in a position with his brothers where they hated him. And most of them were old enough to be his father anyway. So he was raised a lonely, intensely lonely, spoiled little brat. And as he grew older, and he begins to understand what God is doing in his life because of the way he'd been raised, he tells all his brothers things that he should never have told them. He's your, he's your precocious kid. You, you know the kind who wants to sit down and discuss the next president. And, and he, I mean, he's hardly out of pablum yet. And, and uh, and I mean, shut up. I mean, it is, you're way ahead of your years. And, uh, and here's this little kid 
talking to his brothers about how one day they'll bow down before him and worship him. I mean, he should have read Del Carnegie on how to win friends and influence people. I mean, what a thing to do to your brothers. They hate him anyway. And then his father does the unspeakable. He gives to him that in your King James's coat of many colors. Uh, it was basically the coat given to the firstborn son. Whoever wore that coat, it meant you're going to be the next chief of the clan. That coat belonged by right to Reuben. Everybody knew that. Firstborn. And if Reuben wasn't worthy, it would, there was a very distinct pecking order among the brothers. Joseph, he wasn't even in sight. He was too young. And the father abused Joseph by giving it to him because it set him now at a very, very young age in a position that he couldn't handle. And then the brothers, remember, kidnap him. And you read that in Sunday school and just pass over it very quickly. It's a nice little children's story. That's not, that's white slavery. Here, they're, they're taking their own stepbrother, they're selling him, having captured him, thrown him in a dry well. He was 17 at the time, but in those days, 17 was coming on 10. You know, they were much younger in their understanding of life. Today, 17 coming on 40, but in those days, you go backwards. And he's very young, and he screamed the trauma of the moment. Years later, some 20, 25 years later, the brothers can't get it out of their nightmares of how he screamed and begged for mercy of his brothers. And they wouldn't hear him, and they drag him out of the dry well, and they hand him over to the Bedouin traders who take him down the slave routes into Egypt. Do you realize, unless Joseph had forgiven his brothers, you would never have heard of Joseph. All the Bible could have recorded was there was another son and he disappeared. Because unless he had forgiven his brothers, he would have ended up a bitter, bitter old slave in the house of Potiphar. I say in the house of Potiphar, because if he had harbored resentment and bitterness, he would have had the mentality of a victim. Do you know what I mean by that? It's, it's poor me. My life stopped when they did that to me. You, you expect me to live a successful life after what they did to me? Oh, no. I am the victim of what happened there. I stopped living then. I now relate everything that happens to me back to that awful event. And the victim in our society, the same as in any other society, they, they feel they've got it coming to them. I mean, after all I've been through, you owe me, man. These are the people who cheat on their income tax, because after what I've been through, you pay for me. Uh, they're the people who, who shove in front of you when you're standing on line, because they feel they've got it coming to them. They're the people who steal tools from the factory, because they've got it coming to them. You know, after what I've been through, you can't expect me to whatever. You see, if, if Joseph hadn't forgiven his brothers and had had a victim mentality, when Potiphar's wife came to him, he would have taken her. Hey, Potiphar, I've got this coming to me. How would you like it to be stuck in a foreign country where they all speak another language and you've been kidnapped? <laughs> if your wife offers herself to me, come on, I've got it coming to me. So that's why I said he would have been left in Potiphar's house. A bitter old slave. We would never have heard of him again. But somewhere between the kidnapping... An arrival in Egypt, Joseph forgave his brothers. That's incredible. I'm not asking you to do something easy tonight. To forgive. Now, it, they, it may be the threshold of our life in the love of God, but it is the greatest step of faith we've ever taken. To forgive the brothers. And you heard them discussing whether they'd kill you. It was only because those who wanted to kill were outvoted by those who wanted to sell. And then you heard them barter as to how much they'd sell their brother for. And he forgave them. Let me say right at the outset that forgiveness, as we are speaking about it, there is a forgiveness that you can find among the world. But the kind of forgiveness I'm talking about from Scripture, it's more than willpower. You won't do this with willpower. It's, it's more than applying some self-help principles. To forgive in this sense, listen again, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, that is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 
Uh, we don't have time to exegete that scripture, but let me read it to you. It says, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, that will bring about steadfastness and patience. Now, let, some of you know a bit of Greek. If you're, if you're in the charismatic move, bits of Greek do get to you. Um, uh, you've heard of that big charismatic word dunamis? Yeah, you all those smiles, all those Greek students, you know dunamis. It's power, but specifically the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive dunamis. It's the power of God, and it is related to the idea of ability. I have ability, I am enabled. Okay, now Colossians 1.11 says, strengthened with all power. The word strengthen in the Greek is endunamis. And the word power is dunamis. So it says, you are endunamized with all dunamis. Double whammy of power. The power of God. The word endunamis is used in classical Greek. In fact, have you ever read of the uh, story of Hercules? When you were in school, did you have to read that? The old Greek mythology of Hercules. You know, the fellow that had strength to do those great heroic acts. Well, in the Greek, if you read it in the Greek, they use this word endunamized to describe his strength to do the impossible. So, uh, the, the strength endunamized, the coming in, the incoming. So, strengthening, because you're coming in with power, and you are strengthened, and you are thus endunamized with dunamis, the power upon power. You are clothed to do this great, well, after such a statement that you are endunamized with all dunamis, I would expect it to go on to say so you can raise the dead. But it doesn't. It says so you can forgive people. Because the word patience, I won't, we don't have time to go into steadfastness, but patience means to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, to love your enemy, to be to him the very words and hands of God himself. So it means that when I face this world, because it's not only those in our past, it's those you're going to meet tomorrow, I am going to have the constant flow of the Spirit of the uh, of the Christ in order to forgive and forgive in the way that we're about to outline. Uh, when I say the power of God, um, I, I don't know my audience altogether, and some of you may have been trained, even trained by observation, that the power of God means some sort of physical experience. When you have a physical experience, that is, you feel power, that feeling is not the power. The power of God is of such a high frequency, I'm speaking very earthly at this point, but the power of God is such a high frequency, you don't feel it. What you feel is the result of that power passing through you. So if you tremble, that's not the power of God. That's just the reaction of your flesh to the power of God. When you say, I felt warm all over, that's your reaction to the power of God. Essentially, the power of God is beyond feeling. And the more at home you are with the power of God, the less you feel. The power of God that is flowing through my body right now, if I had experienced this 40 years ago, I probably would have fallen over. I'm serious. But I am so used to living and walking and sleeping in the power of God that I don't feel it. I don't feel a thing right now. But I do know that the power in my words is changing people's lives. And so when it says here, and dunamize with all dunamis, do not expect to go around shaking like a blessed Pentecostal. I, I mean, get, get, used, get, get used to the power of God just simply flowing through you beyond feeling. Okay? And, and, and that happens when I choose, it says here something we have to do. You put away bitterness. Remember? Do you hear me? Do it now. That's calling upon the will of the new man. The new you in Christ. He's called upon, do it. Do it now. My response is amen. And when I say amen, it is without a helplessness saying, come Holy Spirit. My faith chooses, but I choose as a dependent person that outside of the Holy Spirit, I can't do this. And in faith, I go ahead to do it, believing that I am being now in dunamis with all dunamis. 
Does that make sense? Let's look at forgiveness. <clears throat> Why do people have a problem with it? Mostly because they don't understand it. I find that many people are afraid to forgive, and listen very carefully, because they believe that it would mean letting the abuser win. Listen, I, I, could, I could open some doors here. Is forgiveness letting the abuser win? Is it becoming a doormat? Is it a surrender to the enemy saying, oh, well, I'm a good Christian, on your way, I know you abuse me, but I'll let you win. Um, is, it, is, it, is forgiveness um, admitting that the other person was right? You know, you, you get a Christian, I've seen this so many times, because most Christians don't understand how to forgive. And, and so they'll go to the, the party who hurt them, uh, and they'll say, well, you know, I guess I overreacted, you know. I, I guess I made a mountain out of a molehill. Um, that, that's a betrayal of me. He hurt me. See, this is the first thing you have to understand about forgiveness. You cannot forgive anybody unless you admit they hurt you. Please get rid of this silly Christian stuff that we've been uh, holding too close, that, that, that says, you know, I'm a Christian, now I don't get hurt. Of course you get hurt. The resurrection hasn't taken place. You still get hurt. Of course you do. Get hurt. Being a Christian is not not getting hurt. Being a Christian is what you do with the hurt. Yes, I was hurt. I've been betrayed. I've been stabbed in the back. That brute of a man abused me. Yes, I was hurt. You tell me that it's the Christian thing to now say, well, I guess I overreacted? You're betraying me again. Someone's going to pay for this. You're not going to ask me just to let them go scot-free. I want you to realize years later when Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt and his brothers, bless their hearts, they did what his dream said and they came and groveled before him. And they were terrified now because Jacob has just died. And they think now the old man's dead. Joseph's going to get us. And so they, they made up that story. Do you remember? They came in and they said, you know, just as dad was dying, you happened to be out of the room, but it be made us promise that we'd ask you to forgive us. <laughs> and um, jo Joseph, Joseph actually wept. He said, oh, my God, no, it's not in my hands. But, but he said this, which is very important. Now this is about 20, let's say 20, it could be 25 years after they kidnapped him. And he turned to them and he said, you meant that for evil. Still, after all those years, he could talk about it, but in its country, he didn't say, well, I suppose those things happen in big families, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, you meant it for evil. Not, we don't bag off. No, you, you actually set out to hurt me. What is it that Jesus said in the great prayer? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or put it another way, forgive us what we owe you as we forgive those who owe us. You've got to get that context. We're talking about debts here. Oh, somebody hurt you, they owe you. They are in debt to you. And you cannot forgive them until you see that. Somebody has stolen my dignity. Somebody has stolen my respect. Someone abused me and defiled me. They owe me. They do owe you. And let me say this. Forgiveness is not absolving them from their sin. That is a great release to some people who think they've got to go around and forgive the person of their sin. You can't do it. Who do you think you are? You can't go around absolving people's sins unless the proper steps have been taken. Only God can absolve a person's sins. If that person has sinned against you, they have sinned against God. Do you realize that? When David sinned against um, Uriah, I mean, he murdered the poor chap, and, and, and he sinned against um, Bathsheba because he committed adultery with her and he sinned against the whole nation in that he led them down a path of trouble because of what he had done 
when he came to his great prayer of repentance, do you remember what he said? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Supposing you were to go, I'll tell you, what was it? My mind's gone a little blank here, but a few weeks ago, was it? Um, someone went to that uh, sculpture of, was it David? And smashed it with a hammer. Do you remember that? Now, just a minute. What are they doing? That, that sculpture, which, it, which is a, a magnificent piece of art and beauty. First of all, as they smash that hammer against it, they are insulting the artist. Secondly, they are making a statement against all art and all beauty. And thirdly, they damage the statue. When someone sins against you, they have sinned against the artist who put you together. And secondly, they have sinned against the whole concept of the human race being made in the image of God. They have sinned then against unconditional love. It's a dangerous thing to do anything against another human being because you're touching God, you see. And so when a person sins against me or I sin against another person, my business is with God. Forgiveness is not you going to a person who has sinned against you and saying their sins are forgiven them. You can't do that. That's God's business. That's God's end of this forgiveness thing. What is forgiveness? I've said it, but now maybe you can see it more clearly. Forgiveness, the only part I can play in this scene, is that I release the person into the hands of God. That's what Joseph meant at the end of his life when he said to the brothers who came to him, he said, am I God? See, he got it right. He said, am I God? I've already given you to the only one who can forgive you. I have already released you. Which means then that I have no personal vendetta against you. Does that make sense? I have given you to the only judge. I've given you to the only one who can absolve you of your sin. That means you're out of my hand. I have given you to him. That leaves me free now to give to you his love. Which is not only given my permission to do that. I mean, God has given me permission to love you. He said, I can't judge you. That's his business. But he said, I can love you. In fact, he's commanded me to. So I release the person into the hands of God. They're out of my hands. In fact, the word forgive means to send away. That's the meaning. Even in Webster's Dictionary, that's what it means. To send away. To release a person. So I'm, you see, you, you come now in the presence of God. And, and you say, you name this person. And you say, this person indeed may be entirely wrong. Ultimately, only God knows how the wrongs are shared out. But they, they could be 100% wrong. But I am not going to be the judge anymore. What a relief. It's, it's so easy to say that and for you to hear it in your mind, but for you to go back to those persons that harmed you and release them and say, I'm no longer the judge. I no longer have to will and plot and fantasize revenge. It's out of my hands. I place all judgment in God's hands who alone knows the whole truth. He knows their hearts. See, that's why he reserves judgment. Because he only knows the truth. The real, real truth. Now I'm in a position to pray for the person. And I pray that they may come to see that their sins have been laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And I release this person then into the hands of God's love. That he will do what has to be done. And I pray that their eyes will be opened so that they may receive the mercy that is theirs. I, I emphasize we release them into the hands of God and pray that they'll see that Jesus bore their sin. This is important because so many people feel, I, I, how, I mean, they have sinned against me. That there's, I'm made in the image of God and part of that image, though distorted and twisted, says someone's going to pay for this. God is ultimate justice. And, and I, I have a sense of justice. And I feel someone has got to pay for this. 
How about you? Might just go on and release them to God? <laughs> I know God. They're going to get away with this. See, I... <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I know where you're getting at. You're saying you don't take vengeance, so give them to God. Yeah, you, you think God's going to take vengeance? No, oh, no, no. Hear me. Someone's got to pay for this. And I heard the voice of Jesus say, I have. I have. I can release a person with sanity. It's all being cleared up in the cross. Look at my life. Someone's got to pay for that. And Jesus said, I have. Now says the scripture, as you have been forgiven. How were you forgiven? In the light of the cross. In the context of the cross. I release these people into God's hands. And I know that when all is said and done, the sin has been paid for by Jesus. Now I pray their eyes may be opened to see what I see. This, I believe, is what Stephen was getting at. Do you remember Stephen? Uh, he's being stoned to death and his murderers, just a few feet above him, are hurling these great rocks at him. And, and very quickly, it's going to be the last one. And with the blood blinding his eyes, he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Now, that's a strange expression. Because I immediately want to say then, to whose charge is it laid? You know, lay this not... It, it's as if the bill is put on your table in the restaurant and, and you reach out and you take it and say, uh, the other fellow reaches out and pulls it out of your hand and says to the waitress, don't put it on his card, put it on mine. Right? Lay it not to his charge. So Stephen is saying, they are murdering me. I am saying their sin of murder, don't put it on their charge. Put it on somebody else's account. Do you follow my reasoning? Then whose? Whose charge was it laid to? Jesus. His last act on earth, Stephen, in the act of dying, was actually seated beside the Father, God, and saying to the Father, I agree with you, their sin was laid upon Jesus. That gave sanity to it. He's not saying they got away with it. He is saying that love has wrapped up the loose ends. The sin has been paid for. Now I can pray that they will see that and receive the forgiveness that was purchased by the blood. Do you follow me? God bless your nod. Is there another? Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's so important you do, otherwise there's no sanity to this. At least not for me. I believe it was because Stephen released those men and you remember the leader of the pack was Saul of Tarsus. I believe that because he was released to God by Stephen, that God was free to work in his life as he did and bring him to Christ. Um, there's a lot more that I could say about that. A lot more. Um, I, I believe also that if you don't forgive, you put yourself in a kind of jeopardy. Um, you could short circuit love. Jesus said it more than once. Forgive us our sins as we forgive. And he doesn't mean you pay for your forgiveness by forgiving, but he ties the two together. You see, if you sin against me and I say, well, the whole world can be forgiven. Jesus died for the whole world, except what you just did to me. Well, how are you sure then that the whole world is forgiven except what you did? You see, we're all tied up in this together. And I find this is true. The person who will not forgive cannot seem to find complete rest and assurance that their sins are forgiven. They're the people that are forever answering appeals and forever trying to get saved and make it take. Uh, and I always question them about forgiveness because usually they're short-circuiting the love of God in their heart in this fashion. What do we do then? Well, first of all, you have to receive forgiveness. If you have had bitterness in your heart, the first item of business is to name it for what it is. And that means that you must ask God's forgiveness for the bitterness that you have held against the person. But then the second thing, now I'm getting very practical because I know we're dealing with some very big problems in this audience. I want you 
to get alone and deal with this once and for all. And I suggest, you don't have to do this, this is not the word of God, it's just a jolly good idea. Um, I suggest to you that you get alone and list the people who have hurt and abused you that you have never dealt with in these terms. And as you list them, list the first one, go back as far as you have to go, let the Holy Spirit bring it up, don't, don't sit there and try and do it, just let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind the people who hurt you and write down the name and come out of denial and admit that person hurt me. Admit, yes, they hurt me. And yes, I have been angry. God forgive me for my anger, but they did hurt me. And now I release them to you and do what we've been talking about here. And when you've crossed the name off the list and write the next one down. We had one of our earliest seminars, uh, early, I mean, it was the beginning of this year, and I, I said this, and, and a person there came to me afterwards. I will never forget her. She looked old and bent. She, she looked a ghost of a woman. And, and she began to tell the most horrendous story of sexual abuse that began when she was five years old and went on till she was 16. And she was passed around among her uncles and cousins and the most hideous story you've ever heard. And, and all I did, I reminded her of what I've just said. She'd been through the seminar and she was coming for more help as if my case is, is more than any, and I agreed it was probably the worst there. But I said, this is it. And I said, it's so simple, I know. But go home and begin at the beginning and forgive. And as you forgive, ask the Holy Spirit to pour His love into all the hurts. And she came to me later. I didn't recognize her. It was only a few weeks that had passed. But when she came to me, she was radiant. She looked younger. So much so I didn't recognize her. And she had a notebook in her hand. And she said, I did it. I did it. And at first I didn't know what she was talking about, but then she opened it and began. Her pages of names crossed out, crossed out. Pages. As she had gone through every person that had been involved in the abuse, from her father in the beginning to her mother who closed her eyes to the whole affair, and so to the aunts who had done similarly, and then to the uncles and the cousins, everybody, right up to the present which had gone beyond the sexual abuse to all those that had hurt because she had drawn trouble to her like a magnet ever since. She had gone through, she said, she went home from the Saturday night and she started and she went all night into Sunday morning and she said around Sunday noon she arose a new person having released a whole lifetime into the hands of Jesus. And I suggest that you do just that. If if it is convenient, go to the person and tell them that they are forgiven. Um, I emphasize if it is convenient. If the person didn't know that you'd held bitterness against them, then don't go and start the whole thing up again. <laughs> I'm serious. <you> know. <laughs> we, we had a revival in the school that I attended at one time and and in the revival, there was a lot of forgiveness. And one poor fellow, everybody in the school went to him and says, forgive me. He, he thought he was a popular fellow till that day. <laughs> Suddenly discovered everybody hated him. Um, there's no point in that. If, if only God knows my heart, then only God forgives and that's the end of it. But if the person knows that there's been trouble between you, go to them. If it's a family member we're talking about, don't set yourself up for more abuse. The Bible says, if it be possible, live peaceably with all men. And sometimes it isn't possible. They're not ready yet. And sometimes a letter would be better than going to them. Honoring your father and mother doesn't mean presenting yourself on a weekly basis for more abuse. You honor your father and mother by you living a godly life. That's how the new, uh, Bible looks at it. Your life honors your parents, not going back and groveling for more abuse. And I'm not suggesting you go back to parents overnight who have abused you. It might not be the time. You can, ha you can afford to wait on that one. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you. 
I also suggest that you begin to go back, and we've not touched on this, but read your syllabus. Go back and rewrite the story of your life. <laughs> Two wows. <laughs> I hope you've seen it. I hope you've seen it. You see, God was there all the time. God was loving you all the time. Angels surrounded you. And God won, didn't he? Out of a hell hole that you call family, you're here, filled with the Holy Spirit. He won. He got you here. Now I'm saying this. Go back and see where he was at work, where at the time you couldn't see it. Joseph did that. You've you got to get that tape. Joseph did it. He looked back. At the end of his life, in chapter 50 of Genesis, he sat down and wrote his story, which became what we've got in Genesis. And you know, he pepper and salted that account by saying, and the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord favored him and blessed him. At the time, you would never have seen it. But when you write your story from where you're now sitting, you realize God was there. How did I ever come out of that alive? God brought you through. He did not violate the free will of your abusers, but he took that very thing and brought you through. And let me tell you this, God has a speciality of taking the very worst and using that to be the very best. If I hadn't lived the life I've lived, I couldn't be ministering to you tonight. God has taken the biggest hurts and he's made them the biggest blessings. And so it is with you. So it is with you. And I have done that myself. I have had to go back in my life and rewrite it. Um, because, you see, you come with a memory that is actually the report to you of a five-year-old. Do, do you follow what I mean by that? Your memory of that event is the report given to you today of a five-year-old. Or however old you were when it happened. Well, bless the little five-year-old's heart, but they didn't know everything, did they? They didn't see it. Now you see it. Now, say, filled with the Holy Spirit, you go back and say, I know that's what happened, but God was there. Angels protected me. Angels led me through it. Angels brought me to this point. And as you rewrite your life, forgiving every person in there that has hurt you, you are going to emerge into a new person in Jesus Christ. Amen.